I imagine, so I like know that on paper, something like 3.2 billion people in the world identify as Christian. And I don't think that 3.2 billion people are actually trying to like break from culture in the ways that Jesus navigated like and so yeah I mean I would say that I believe in the potential of these people who like love Jesus and that that if the people who believed in Jesus behaved like Jesus it would be such a wild place and racism wouldn't exist and like poverty wouldn't exist and I just think all of these like these tangible needs of other people would be resolved and so I just it's very easy for me to imagine that when I think of the amount of people who say I'm Christian, who maybe don't know what it means totally, and and who maybe don't even know that that's like what they're invited into. When I see the Christian sort of like culture in the U.S. and how much we love our Christianity, like if we loved acting like Jesus as much as we loved holding on to our political Christianity thing, um, the U.S. would look different. Heaven is opening wide and inviting us to life. Love is filling us with light. You're gracious and infinite. Happy November, everybody. Welcome to the fall and welcome back to the show. I'm still Seth, I'm still your host. Maybe one of these days I'll take a week off and have someone else host. I don't know who that'll be. Maybe one of you. Let me know if you want to do that. I'll line it up and I'll, f- I'll set you free. Anyway, man, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for the chat today, and I think you will be too. There's a lot of different stories mixed in that are beautiful. But before we get there, a couple quick announcements. So many, many, many months ago, quite a few people emailed in and said, hey, I don't really like to do Patreon. I'm not a fan of that. I don't want to have to make another username and password because I just kind of would like to support the show if you'll let me do that. So I tried PayPal and that is a pain in my existence. I just, PayPal and I have never really gotten along ever. Uh, And I think that's a me problem because I know millions of people like PayPal. I just don't. And so that is the first announcement. So there is now, if you'll click in the show notes, it'll be towards the top there, right around where it says, here's the transcript for this episode. I have partnered with a new service called Glow, and you will see a link right in the show notes. You can support the show if you feel so led, and you can click that button right inside your app, right on your phone or wherever you happen to be, and you can support the show in one of two ways, and I'll let you go there and click there. So consider doing that if that is still something for those of you that requested that, that would like to do that. Uh, It is a different avenue for people that don't want to do something like Patreon, deeply in love with Patreon. It literally makes this show available the way that it is now. So that is definitely never going away. I want to make sure that you all knew that that is there, and I'll figure out how to refresh the website as well to have those links go appropriately. Hopefully, by the time this airs, I'm trying to figure out how to get the logo restitched for embroidery because some of my lines, as you'll see on the logo there, are not uniform, and that apparently does not make the little printer thingies, the needle, whatever you call those, happy. And so I'm working on that. And as soon as I do, I'm ordering myself a hat from this little bald head that I have for the winter. And so hopefully those will be there. But consider getting something for somebody that you love uh, in support of the show for Christmas or for yourself. Why not? For those Patreon supporters, you, when you enrolled, got a discount code. If you didn't, shoot me an email or a message inside Patreon and I will get you that. I've got a nice little discount code there for the people that support the show that way. There we go. We did that. We're middle way through November. 
a few months back in the episode on parenting with Cindy Wong Brat, the music in that was, it, it struck a tone with many people. Like the singer in that band or one of the singers in that band of the Eagle and Child, his name is Brad Davis. And so we began chatting back and forth and decided, you know, let's have a conversation. And I really liked it a lot. I laughed a lot. And those are always my favorite, as I've said before. We reference it at the end, but I'm well aware that some of you take weeks to listen to podcasts. If you're like me, you'll listen to a little by little by little. And so if you are in the central Virginia area, Brad and his band, as well as Citizens and a few other actually artists that have been on the show as well, are going to be doing a concert in Lynchburg on November 6th, which I think is a Wednesday. And so I plan to go there. I would love to meet up with anyone going there in person. That would be fantastic. But if not, either way, I'm going to go listen to some music. So here we go. Without any further rambling, a conversation with Brad Davis of The Eagle and Child. Brad Davis, welcome to the show, man. And before we get started, for those that need a little context, so a few episodes back, Brad sings in a band called The Eagle and Child. It's not and the child, it's just and child, because you caress with my mind a bit there. And then, you know, we messaged a bit, and and man, I'm excited to have you onto the show, excited to talk a bit about you, you know, your story, kind of what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for playing our music a couple episodes ago. Well, thanks for writing it. Um, I'm a big fan of music that isn't on Spirit FM or K-Love or really the radio, period. (laughs) Me too. And my wife will tell you, I don't ever not have music playing, I think, to her chagrin. She's she's like, can we just have silence? No. (laughs) No, we can't. No. No, we can't. No way. That's uncomfortable. I don't. What? Yeah. how did you end up, I, I, I actually wanted to ask you, how did you hear about us? Where did you find us? Oh, man. Um, well, so I was out shopping with the kids. The kids get to run my playlist on Spotify. So I have my, like, the playlist that those that listen to all the, you know, the songs from each episode go into that playlist. Um, but then I have another one that I use to try to find new music. Uh, and I do that by intentionally listening to a different genre every single day so that I mess with the, the algorithm. Like I, I intentionally will listen to slow and then tomorrow it's only fast stuff. And then the next day it's all Bob Dylan type stuff. And the next day, maybe we're going to throw some cumbia in there it, just because I want to screw with the algorithm. And then my, like Amazing. the new release radar or whatever, it's literally all over the place. There'll be gospel in there right next to some classic rock, which is great. Wow. But sometimes it gives me the same stuff that anybody would get. But it rolled up in there, and so I heard the song that I originally emailed you about, and I can't remember the name of that song. Ah, I'd have to find it. Uh, Probably but then, everyone and everything. I think that is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I, you know, I went to your website, started listening to everything, and I'm like, I like this a lot. Yeah, I latch onto something, and I just wow. devour it all. So or yeah. everything that's available. So amazing. You make an effort, and I appreciate that to find new music. It's like so hard to do. Well, I figure the topics matter, and I try to find music that matches the emotionality of the conversation. Um, Mm. And if I can't, those are the ones that you'll hear. I just have some instrumental stuff from a a guy that lives locally here that lets me use his music. If I can't find something, I'm not going to force words in there, because I feel like it breaks the the conversation. Yeah. So that's kind of how I found you. 
Um, cool. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite things to do. I do it usually every every day. I listen to about an hour of new music. Wow. I w- I want to get there. I just turn it on. <laughs> just, uh, just hit the button. <laughs> sounds simple to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us a bit about you. What's kind of your story? Give us the rundown. Yeah. Well, I am a, a musician. My name is Brad Davis. Yes, I live in San Diego. I am a musician and a freelance director and editor and video maker. I grew up in church mm-hmm. and sort of left the faith for part of my 20s and came back to it. And when I started going back to church, I was like, oh, this speaker is amazing. What if the music was uh, as good as the speaker? Uh, so then I thought I wanted to start a band that was like making worship music that sounded like the music that I love. And um, so I started a band with some friends, and that's called The Eagle and Child. They used to be in a band called Future of Forestry, which is a great mm, band. I know that the, band. Um, yeah. Yeah. They made. They all played together, the, the three guys in my band, um, Nick, who plays guitar, Luke plays bass, and Spencer plays drums. They were all in Future of Forestry and played on a really amazing record called Twilight and some other stuff too. It's great. That's cool. Yeah, I met with met up with them and started sort of writing music and we started rearranging worship songs to be sort of fun musically and trying to match the depth of the concept and depth of the of the lyrics with like the musical arrangements. And then that, when we made a first record doing that, we made a second record that's like all original songs trying to expand ways to describe God, I think, and trying to not use Christianese, which <laughs> which is in fact Christianese, which is right it's itself. Um, and it's then, really hard. It is. It's really hard. Yeah. And then we, we just released a third album called Sight, which is a concept album, trying to bridge a gap between worship music and being objectively helpful to the world. I didn't know that the other people were from Future of Forestry. Yeah. I did not know. I didn't really do much research on the band. I just listened to the music. That's okay. Yeah. One of my favorite songs is one of theirs. It's one, what's it called? Um, I don't know if they played on it. Slow Your Breath Down. That's the name of the song. Mm. So that's a common story. The 20s. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a common story for a lot as, as I've come to talk with a bunch of people. Kind of what was it that disconnected you from the church? Yeah. I think there's so much emphasis. Well, I... I can talk about what I think it is now. And, sure. <laughs> but I mean, partially there was just an overemphasis on the importance of what happens when you die. And then mm. the lack of a lack of emphasis on what happens today. And so it was not necessary for me to worry about until I was getting older. And it was kind of um, the smallest version of faith that I ever was given. So, and it's, and I was a part played a part in that too. But yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. That's yeah. kind of the thing that, that it didn't seem like it was a practical help in any way. And even it, though like the Holy Spirit is a thing that supposedly lives inside of you, like it doesn't, didn't change anything or wasn't explained in an exciting way at all. So so that's a fancy word for eschatology. Um, I like big words, so I'm going to use a nickel word there. Great. Those are penny words. I'm going to go right up to the nickel word. So does that still hold any sway for you at all as you've come back to the faith now where you're like, yeah, I still don't really care? Or like, like, where are you at with that? Well, let's see. I guess, well, where am I at with how, it, how what happens when you yeah, die? Like what, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I have been blinded by worry uh, with that conversation uh, mm. 
just too often. So, and for somebody who like believes I know where I'm going after death or whatever, um, I still just have had horrible conversations with people I love who don't believe the same thing. And I think mm. that anytime I focus on that, I'm just like gripping something in an unhealthy way that I cannot, I cannot be loving to people. I can't listen to them. It's just like something when I think of my own or my friends, like eternal salvation or eternal destiny, mm -hmm. eternity is something I can't understand. And my responsibility for their eternity is pretty intimidating. So <laughs> what I do focus on is like trying to learn from what Jesus did and how that is radical and wild and is different than what I thought being a Christian was and different what I think a lot of people think being a Christian is. I've asked that question to a lot of people. I don't usually ever get the same answer, like ever. And I kind of like that I don't get the same answer, but it also makes me really wonder if we're all reading the same Bible, if we're all hearing the same, like like literally I'm like, ah, we don't agree on, we don't agree on much. Yeah. Uh, and often we don't agree on loving others. Yes. Which I feel like that's the most blatant, like, I'm, mm, I feel like you missed it. I don't know what you read. Yeah. But I, I don't, I just don't understand. Yeah. So I want to talk a bit about one of the things that you messaged me. You said, I believe more than ever in the potential of the body of Christ. What do you mean by that? Like define what you mean when you say the body of Christ and then what is that potential? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would just say like, I imagine, so I like know that on paper, something like 3.2 billion people in the world identify as Christian. And I don't think that 3.2 billion people are actually trying to like break from culture in the ways that Jesus navigated like and so yeah I mean I would say that I believe in the potential of these people who like love Jesus and that that if the people who believed in Jesus behaved like Jesus it would be such a wild place and racism wouldn't exist and like mm. poverty wouldn't exist and I just think all of these like these tangible needs of other people would be resolved and so I just, it's very easy for me to imagine that when I think of the amount of people who say I'm Christian, who maybe don't know what it means totally, mm -hmm. and and who maybe don't even know that that's like what they're invited into. Yeah. When I see the Christian sort of like culture in the U.S. and how much we love our Christianity, like if we loved acting like Jesus as much as we loved holding on to our political Christianity thing. <laughs> um, yeah the U.S. would look different, you know, and, and also as a Christian nation, I think if we did align ourselves as a Christian nation, like with, I'm, I'm making finger quotes, by the way, is a Christian right. nation. Yeah. Um, people can't see you. There are a lot of air quotes. It, happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our nation is one of the most powerful nations in the world. And if we aligned with Christ, we would be powerful in a different way that didn't mm -hmm. look like the same power that we have now. And, I just yeah. love imagining about that yeah. stuff. So, and I believe that that's not unrealistic, you know, somehow, like I do believe that like God is calling people toward him and even people who know him and, you know, and over time, mm -hmm. I feel like progress will, will be made. I, I hope so. Although I teeter back and forth between whether or not I feel like that's realistic. Cause in my heart of hearts, I'm like, yes, that wouldn't this be like literally the world would change. Yeah. Um, everybody would lose their power. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that it'll happen. But I also know, and this happens a lot, at least in the conversations that I have, especially locally, I find 
that the way that we interpret the Bible changes when you live in the empire of the day. Yeah. Like, like, like America basically is Babylon or yeah. it is Rome, yeah. you know? And so because of that, and you alluded to it earlier, you know, like the people kind of mix religion with politics. I don't know how to distance from that yeah. without, without, I don't know. I'm not saying that well, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Cause I don't know that. I feel like if we got there, the church is a different church and America probably doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Or America looks so drastically different that we don't have any power anyway. Right. If that makes if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean I I definitely teeter between hoping for it and thinking that like um these people that are somehow like more aggressive and more angry and dismissive because of their faith, like I get so frustrated with mm. those Christians and those brothers and sisters, you know, and I'm trying to say that in my heart and say that out loud when people yeah. that have like a different stance but still believe the same faith no more air quotes there the um <laughs> but yeah i'm trying to refer to them with respect and love but mm-hmm. i don't know but there's so much dismissiveness and hate and that we have tied up in our christianity so that's very frustrating to me and, and part of me thinks like well then american christianity just needs to fall like the mm. the empire needs to fall yeah and then maybe some type of healthy Christianity will be born out of the brokenness of the, the lack of power, which is where we learn from. Uh, I both in, fear and hope that. Yeah. Um, I fear it because I want something stable for my children to go into. Yes. But I also hope for it because I don't want them to walk into what's happening now. Yeah. Like I don't, you know, like so someone's got to break it yeah. for it to be repaired. I mean, and if it did, your kids would have the opportunity to access a type of courage that you and I have never had, you know? Yeah, and it yeah, acts as a type of reliance on God that you and I have never had. I'm assuming. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, but it is an, it was a scary thought too. So, talking about empire and uh, the way that we treat religion and faith in the church here, you said in your message that you had been to Israel and it was like life changing, transformative. Why did you go to Israel to begin with? Because yeah. I feel like a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm going to go to Israel. I'm going to get baptized in the Jordan. I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to come home. I'm going to put it on the wall. Look at me. I did it. <laughs> I'm going to go there without seeing anything. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> now, Israel's on my bucket list, but like, I don't want to go any of the places most people go to. Yeah. Like, I just, yeah, I want to I go to like this archaeological dig that there's 17 walls there and be like, yeah, a lot happened here. Let's yeah. talk about this. Yeah. You know? So what kind of took you there? And then how did it reframe, you know, your faith? Yeah. Well, I, I guess there's been a lot of reframings, adjustments. I'm always adjusting things. Refiner's Fire. That's what that song's about. There have been really formative experiences that I've had with the organization called the Global Immersion Project, which is a peacemaking training organization. My mm-hmm. wife works for them, and and I've gotten to go on some different trips. They lead peacemaking training uh, immersive experiences in San Diego, Tijuana, which is they're very close. San Diego is t- like 10 minutes from Tijuana. Really? And vice versa. And so, huh. I mean, not vice versa, because driving back, you have to wait in line for f- five hours. But <laughs> And we learn from people who are on all sides of the hot immigration topic and mm-hmm. learn from Border Patrol agents and learn from people who have just been like have dinner with people who were just deported like the day before, like have no idea what they're going to do with their lives, meet with people who are pastors and believers down there. And they actually refer to the U.S. as the empire, which is wild, Mm. which doesn't feel good. (laughs) 
Yeah. So they do two, Global Immersion Project does two trips, and one is to San Diego, Tijuana. One is to Israel, Palestine. And I didn't know much about Israel and Palestine, and I knew that it was complicated, and I knew that um, people have very strong opinions in the Christian faith to be pro-Israel, and I don't know what that means. And so uh, it was... I had signed up to do this because of because my wife was working there and um, I wanted to experience it. And then, so some backstory, my mom passed away um, like a few months before we were going to go. And so my dad, who's like super wonderful and super conservative politically, and my brother, who's super liberal politically and not religious, and I, who I feel like I'm in the middle and um, I guess I'm quite religious. So I asked them if they wanted to come with me. And we we're all just kind of like, well, we have our lives just are turned upside down with losing uh, my mom. And so we went on the trip to Israel, Palestine. How close is this to losing your mom? Lost her in uh, October. And then we went on in April. So, oh, yeah, it was like a couple months later and we were just like mm. learning and the whole process, you were like doing research on reading books on the the extremely complicatedness of uh, the conflict that's there and how people think it should be fixed and what's what a Zionist is and all that stuff. And so mm. and also what role um, the U.S. has in that conflict, too. And so and what I had heard about Israel is that it's this wonderful holy space, like that it's this wonderful place that you can go and see where Jesus walked in. It's this wonderful, amazing place. And then going there, you meet different people on sort of all sides of it. So you meet with, uh, we met with a um, Jewish rabbi, we met with a Muslim sheikh, and we met with Palestinian Christians. And in that dynamic, you just are experiencing a um, the gift of learning from people who are experiencing extremely tough conflict and um, living under oppression or living on top of oppression or just kind of all those things. And mm-hmm. and so there's one thing that that one phrase sort of that it's a soundbite. <laughs> you can use it. We met with a, a man named Daoud, who's a, is a Palestinian Christian who owns his family's owned farmland for generations and Israeli soldiers um, are just encroaching on the land and just have been. And he is really, really um, persistent in trying to protect his land and soldiers come onto his land with machine guns all the time. They drive over his gate and ruin his gate and they come into his property machine guns and say like, talk to me. We want to, we want to talk to you. And he's like, you're in my house. You must Hmm. have tea with me. Mm. And I can't even imagine that type of <laughs> experience and that type of tension. Machine guns pointed at me and with my family there. And they're like, no, 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 we need to talk to you. Come here. And he's like, no, 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 you are my guest. And mm. he basically sits down with them and makes, you know, has his family member make tea. And then they sit down and have tea. They don't really talk that much. And then they just get up and leave. And like the soldiers didn't have anything to do there. But he like diffused violence with peace, you know, and with persistence and creativity. And there's an, another story about him where he was driving in the car with his kids sleeping in the back and these soldiers with like masks on and laser pointer guns, you know, pointing it. They pulled him over, pulled him out of the car. They said, wake your kids up, get him out of the car. He's like, please don't make me wake my kids up to this site. And they've insisted. And then he said, 
in English, which is the common language between the soldiers and him. He told his kids, children, wake up. There are soldiers here, but don't worry. They're also human. And Mm. it like diffused this also extremely intense situation. And he just was telling these stories of his ability to navigate those situations in ways that I can't imagine thinking of, you know, just this element of creativity. And he said this, this is the thing that stuck with me, is he he says, the Palestinians are waiting for a political savior or a leader to, to lead us out of this oppression. But he said, but a savior is not coming. And he said, the savior is already among us which he's referring to the spirit of God in him is Mm. what God has provided. Mm. And so like, to me, that just blew my mind. You know, it's like the Holy Spirit is like access to wild creativity on how to navigate the difficult parts of life and um, courage. And just that was just mind blowing to me because I had heard the Holy Spirit is just like a nice thing. That's a bird on your shoulder, you know, (laughs) Yeah, Those experiences have changed the way that I view the Spirit of God, um, the way that I view power. It's really helped me to see the U.S. as a really a really powerful influence. And what we learn so much about in the Bible is like that if you look at the power dynamics in the stories, we are on a sketchy side of things. And, um, mm. and the people who try to keep others out and the people who try to make their religion divide things are the people who get the most pushback from Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and so, so being able to have those experiences were totally life-changing. You should, you Seth should go on a trip with global immersion. You would you'd love freak to go. out. You'd love it. I would love to go. I don't know how well I would do. I get confrontational sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, and I got, and I've got quite a smart mouth. Um, <laughs> very, but I think, I think, though, being in a country that didn't speak primarily English would temper that because that only works when we all know that this word has four meanings and I'm using the third one yeah. in place of the second one, and that's why it's so cutting. Yeah, That doesn't work when you have someone that doesn't have English as a first language. Yes. So that could temper that. Yeah, I, I can't imagine living a faith like that. I'm thankful that I don't have to, but I also know, like when you're talking about like you know who Jesus sides with, I remember not long ago I saw it was a cartoon. I think it was a cartoon, like a, a drawing. It had the wall, you know, that everybody wants to argue about. And I'm sure as we get closer to the elections, we'll get more arguments mm-hmm. about this idiotic, arbitrary latitude that separates humans. That's an aside. We can talk about that later. <laughs> um, and all it said was something to the effect of, and I'm going to paraphrase this, you know, every time you try to draw a boundary between you and someone else, because you're scared of them or they don't agree with you or you think they're wrong or they're heathen or they're pagan or they're the wrong religion or whatever the reason is, Jesus is always on the other side of the wall. Yep. And you, you really need to figure that out. Like every time you build a wall and you think you're wrong, it's he's always standing on this side of the oppressed. Yeah. Whoever the oppressed is, yeah. you know, whoever, it doesn't really matter who the oppressed are. Um, I'm curious, what did those, what did those interactions do to kind of your, your brother and your dad? You know, your brother being farther on the spectrum one side than you and your dad, the opposite side. How did that kind of change like the family dynamic and maybe their faith or did it? Yeah. And I don't want you to speak for them necessarily, yeah. but. One thing I noticed is that toward the end of the trip, my brother and my dad and I were at, at dinner and I, and I had pointed out something that our political uh, conversations within the, the three of us, particularly between my brother and my dad. My dad would bring something up. And my brother would just like 
lose it and just like, can you believe that orange idiot? And just like, you know, just like going, <laughs> expressing his rage, you know, in a way that didn't, and I, I in a way that didn't create space for my dad to respond yeah. in any, in any conversation, you know? And mm-hmm. so I just kind of mentioned, Hey, I noticed this, like, I would love for us to talk about these differences. Cause we're probably just more aware of them than ever. And like, I'd love for do you, dad, did you feel shut down by that? And my brother mm-hmm. and my dad said, yeah, I think so. And my brother's like, I never thought about that. So it was like a moment of peacemaking within our family that was generated on the peacemaking trip. And then otherwise, my dad said, he's like, well, I've always, after coming home, he said, I've always known I should be pro-Israel. And he said, but I couldn't tell you why, but I've always known that that's what I should be. Um, he watches a lot of Fox News. Maybe that's mm-hmm part of it but now he's met so many he has friends that are palestinians and that complicates things Mm. in a way that is necessary for uh (laughs) humanity you know Mm -hmm. um i like what i call slacktivism is where i engage on facebook in conversations about things that are political or uh, regarding the faith or things I disagree with or things. So it's called like, it's a combination of activism and slacker, slacker, slacktivism. <laughs> I posted on this thing today. It was a post about abortion, which is obviously a gnarly thing to bring up. And it's just a gnarly thing. And so, mm-hmm. um, but somebody said in the comments below, it said a hundred percent of Democrats are evil, wicked people, and bon- mm. and they just said it was just like a thing that said all Democrats are this and all of them, and then I said, are you giving that much credit to our political system that it's a hundred percent accurate with good people on one side and bad people on the other side? <laughs> That's like giving so much credit to this this yeah partisan system. Anyways, I just how did it go? He hasn't replied yet. I've really <laughs> I've blown his mind. <laughs> You know, so I get a lot of comments that are um, people poke at me with theological rhetorical questions, and yeah. my my pat response is always, um, "I believe what Jesus said on the topic." Yeah. Now the nice thing is, often Jesus said nothing on the topic, <laughs> yes. and so that's where I leave it. And they're like, "Well, he didn't say anything." Oh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Then yes, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, uh, which is not they don't like. There's nothing to argue about when I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I don't know. Let's just love the person. Yeah. I kind of think that Jesus had the right idea on this topic. Yeah. Well, he didn't talk about the Second Amendment. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know, actually. Well, he kind of did in Luke, but again, we're getting in the weeds there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I was definitely raised, and I think that a lot of our country is in the position to like live with apologetics and with like... Can you need to convince your friends to believe the Mm. same thing? You're just like always thinking instead of how to be like a friend to them, you're always thinking of how to drop the mic on them, which Mm -hmm. no one has ever dropped the mic on me and made me change my mind ever in my life. (laughs) Did you ever think about this? Boom. Like it's too proud of a move, you know? And so I just think, the tempting thing to do is to want to drop the mic. Good luck saying something to like that where questions and dialogue are where people and relationships are where people are, are changed, you know? 
Definitely. Yeah. You can't hate people that you have a relationship with. Yeah. You really can't. Yeah. You still lead worship now then? Or you're like on staff at a church or like, what's the, what's the main gig? Like, are you, are you like a touring musician? Like what's, what's the gig? How, how do you eat? Yes. Well, I. With a fork and a knife, but outside <laughs> yeah, of the, outside no, of the, outside I of the considered time. going there. The, um, <laughs> yeah. So I kind of have two, two half lives. I have a, mm-hmm. I run a like production company and I'm a producer and like director, editor for video stuff. I'm doing mm. music videos and stuff like that, which I, is really fun. And then I that feeds into my band. So we do lead worship um, at camps or at churches and stuff like that. And I've been on staff at a church as the video director while our band was playing there regularly. And we recently ended that season. And um, But yeah, I think we play occasionally and we're doing a tour um in november yeah so it's kind of i have two half careers that's cool yeah There's a method of that question. So you you said at the beginning you were rearranging worship music. Yeah. And I know how hard that can be. I lead worship for free at my church often with a group of other people. And we just, I just like singing. Yeah. And I like playing. I don't know that I'm good at it, but I enjoy it. And I'm going to do it because they give me the microphone. And I, I don't get paid, so you can't fire me. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I know how hard it can be to rearrange songs. And you get the pushback from people of, you really can't mess with that song. Like that song... The way that it was written 190 years ago is gospel. Like you, you can't touch this song. Yeah. So, what have been some of those ones that have caused you the most pause? And then the, I'm going to piggyback that off of that. One of the questions I ask every musician that I talk to is, "How has writing music impacted the way that you see God?" Mm. Uh, and normally, everybody goes, oh, "That's a that's that's a tough question," which is why I like it. So, kind of how. I'll give you the easy one first. What are some of those hard ones that you're like, yeah, to rearrange this worship song in a way that still works and holds credence to what it was intended to be back when it was just an organ or whatever it was mm-hmm. to today? Like, what's the one that you found has been the most impactful for you? Well, I mean, I feel like when we when we started out, we had a... Th- Nick, our guitar player, is really good at being emotional. and <laughs> And I mean that in a great way. He has access to... He cries on stage. He nearly, nearly. <laughs> um, no, but he he has he's a four on the enneagram if you care. But the uh, the he has the access to the emotion of the song, and so a lot of times with the hymn arrangements, he usually just like sits in it in in silence and just sort of feels like where emotionally it needs to go, and he'll write something, and it's mm. like we're off, and it it's. Happened a handful of times where he just thinks about something for a moment and then just like emotes the song instantly. Like it, it is pretty amazing. He's a gifted guy. Are those recorded anywhere? Well, are they all live? There's, well, that we made arrangements out of like those. Those are usually just like practices. Mm-hmm. There's a song, it's an, an original song, but I suggested an, an idea of a song to him. And then he just basically wrote as is, like the song. It's called Fault Lines. And, and I just suggested this concept to him. And then he went, oh, 
played the song as is. Huh. So, yeah, and then, so with, uh, I guess we have more trouble when there's, like, rock band arrangements of songs. Like, if we were going to try to do a more modern song, like Reckless Love or something, we would be mm. like, there's, like, pretty good arrangements of it now, and so how would we, do, do we just do that? I guess we had, yeah, there's the song I just called. Medley, I just medley those together with a different song. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. With I Am A C. I am a CH. Did you ever sing that one? <laughs> I've never rearranged that song. But you I know, know that song. Okay. My daughter sings that song. Yeah. Cool. I love that song. Have you, re- have you rearranged that into Reckless Love? <laughs> have, you, have you merged it too? <laughs> Not yet. But, you know, I'm looking to break the creative threshold next time. So, yeah. Um, no, I actually was working on that. Uh, so I missed practice. We usually practice on Monday for worship. And I actually was mixing um i'll probably cut this out because it doesn't really matter <laughs> but yeah i was mixing reckless love with death was arrested which i don't know that i'm happy with 100 percent of either of those songs yeah um but at the same time signature i have them in the same key and they really work well together and it works well i haven't got it quite right and i have till sunday to figure it out yeah uh, if not i'll just leave it alone i'll just do reckless love or whatever be done. well and then you but, could throw in like a one phrase from death in his grave which is, mm. a, then that would just really confuse everyone. I'm not interested in confusing. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of our expertise. So if you ever need help with that, we can. Mostly I'm doing it because it's usually just a guitar and I have to move the capo or something. And oh, so yeah. I need to medley the song so that I don't have to have like a, you know, everybody's standing there like, are we singing? Yeah. We're not singing. We are over oh, singing again. Yeah. You know, so I need it. I'm trying to. Anyway, that's beside the point. All right, so back to the harder question. Yeah. How has writing music impacted the way that you see God? I don't think I'm stumped by this question. Perfect. I love combining the, like, trying to articulate something about who God is and about the way that God works while imagining more than I traditionally have imagined. It has allowed me to for the freedom to imagine more about who God is, you know? And so there's this like infinite being that is not bound by time or what, or and it knows everything and it is everywhere. You know, that's like, I learned that in school. It was like, yeah, God's omnipresent. He's omniscient. And it was like, that did not cause any curiosity or any like wonder, imagining, trying to picture the outside of the universe expanding, like trying to picture the outside of that and then picturing God caring for us mm. faster than that, you know? Like, to, so there's actually a lyric in one of our songs called Radiance where I try to articulate that idea. It's a big thought. <laughs> it is. It's a big thought. It, well, we tried to even, it got bigger. It was like we tried to say that like God's love is out on the outsides of the, beyond the universe expanding. And then also like, it, attentively with each of us so like yeah. that span of the universe and a span of god's love is like so exciting to me huh. so to me it's really allowed me to wonder and try to like the 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 words that i grew up knowing about how to describe god are not as potent to me as they as they could be because i'm totally used to them and so um giving myself permission to try to say it a different way has has like sort of led me into a faith that I think is, I mean, to look at a bigger God and look at a kinder God. And it's also totally um, intimidating to articulate 
your experience with God into a song because mm-hmm. everybody has individual experiences and, and to sing it corporately is like really scary, but, but yeah. it's okay. That's really fun too though. Yeah. It's really fun. Some, well, most of the times it's fun. Yeah. Well, you alluded to going on tour and I know you're coming to my neck of the woods. Cause I think you said you're coming to Lynchburg. Yep. Uh, November 6th, 6th. Something like that. It doesn't matter. So where do people go? Yeah. You know, as, as, the, as they want to, like, where would you point people to, to listen to the music, do the things, hit the Facebooks? Like, where would you send people to, yeah. to do all the things? You could follow us doing all the things on Instagram. <laughs> so that's the Eagle and Child Music. And on Facebook, too, it's the same thing. Oh, if you follow us on uh, Spotify, that's helpful. And then, yeah, you could go to our website, which is the theeagleandchildmusic.com. Or you could go, we're going on tour with a band called Citizens and a band called Ghost Ship and also Alley Page. And so you could go to Citizens' website or our website to find that, which is wearecitizens.net. Been really fun. We did a leg of it in September and we're doing a little bit more than a week in November. It's going to be sweet. Well, Brad, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, me too, Seth. Thank you. Since editing this episode, I have tried to wrap myself around what Brad said there about trying to put words to the infinity that is the divine that we worship together. And I find myself struggling. But as I begun trying to write more, both for me and for other reasons, I am finding the same struggle of how to find words that can adequately describe the God that I worship. And it is so hard and it is so worth it. And the stories that he told of the Palestinian Christian and the way that he diffused those situations. I wish I could be that patient. I don't think that I could. Actually, I'm certain that I couldn't. But what a way to live, right? What a way to live. Big thanks to Brad for coming on. Thank each and every one of you for uh, your time today. Uh, Be blessed, and I will talk with you all next week. Love beyond the universe expanding is compassionately mending the divides so may i not be selfish when i worship for who can hoard an everlasting life may i be empowered to embody the god whose love is generosity So I could see the victim and the villain As broken and beloved, same as me Read